Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. I'm Brian O'Connor, Lead Content Editor for No-Till Farmer. Source by Sound Agriculture sponsors this podcast about the past, present, and future of no-till farming. David Moeller of Kyoto, Iowa is something of a planter whisperer. Moeller opened the doors on Moeller Ag Services in 1989 and has consulted with no-tillers as far afield as Australia and New Zealand about making their planters work. Here's no-till farmer editor Frank Lesseter talking to Moeller about trends in equipment, fertilizer, and more. Washington, Iowa, Washington County, that's kind of where we're located, south of Iowa City, Iowa. We started our business in 1989. Actually, we worked for an Alice Chalmers, now Agco, Alice Chalmers dealership for uh, nine years, and then they closed their doors, and that forced us to go on our own, which was, you know, kind of a scary thing at the time, but then uh, we realized that, you know, actually now... Here we are almost 40 years later. It's it's probably one of the best things that ever happened. So, But as for business-wise, yeah, we run an agricultural repair business. Uh, we specialize in planting equipment, and but we still also work on tractors, combines, skid loaders. Obviously, you know, you, the planter thing we can't do year-round, but yet that uh, gives a little more diversity of what we work on. So the planter side is something we really took and, you know, kind of took off when we started. I, you know, we were actually into planter maintenance at the Alice Chalmers dealership. They were also sure. a Kinsey dealer. We were uh, one of the things that we kind of talk about. I remember back then we were running corn meters and that was, you know, planter maintenance, corn meters were the thing. And yeah. uh, I know we had an actual test stand that we acquired there at the business at, at uh, the Alice Chalmers dealership. And then, we took in one year, did $26,000 worth of business in one season for just planter corn meter repair. And wow. I remember Kinsey calling up, finding, trying to find out what we were doing to sell that many parts. Yeah. So that was kind of the start of corn meter repair and, and got us kind of intrigued about, okay, uh, you know, planter repair is something that is, you know, it's you get it one chance to do it right. And that's what we've always kind of you know, centered on in making sure that planter maintenance is something you really, you know, put your emphasis on. So I take it that the Alice Chalmers dealer, you were back in the service department and uh, not up front in the showroom, huh? That is correct, yes. We were a mechanic back then. And like I say, we started right out of high school. We went to college for a semester and didn't really feel that was something that was taking us where we wanted to. And we, this opportunity came up and uh, like I said, we had some good mentors there, and, and uh, the owners were really good about when they actually were getting ready to close the doors, they came to us and said, you know, we really think you can take and do this on your own. So mm-hmm. that's what we ended up doing. I know you work on all kinds of planters and all types of tillage systems with planters, but you've kind of been a specialist in, in no-till. How did you get into that specialty? Well, and that goes back again. So no-till in southeast Iowa in Washington County is big. And that kind of started in the early 80s. And we had some county, Washington County Extension people that were really good about pushing and at least mentioning and talking about and getting meetings together about conservation. And obviously, everybody was flying in the fall. And then you did work the ground two or three times, and then you planted into a, you know, a dusty seed bed. Basically, the, the conservation tillage come about to get rid of the plow, help stop erosion. And then, of course, obviously, planter attachments started to come about 
and I know my family, they started no telling in 1982 for the first time. We had an old Alice Chalmers 333 planter that we actually flipped the frame over to put the uh, no-till colders back closer to the row unit. And of course, no-till colders were the thing back then. I know we started out with two-inch wavy colders on that particular planter. And it was, to me, it was like when we watched that work, it's like, no, this is not not what we want. <laughs> yeah. That two-inch wavy colder was just disturbing soil tremendously. So we went and found a, we had an old case plow there that had smooth colders on it. And we went and grabbed the colders off that and stuck on there. And that actually worked really good. So that was kind of the start of, you know, planter things attachment-wise at that point. We were, you know, trying to figure out what worked best. Um, but like I say, the 80s brought about trash whippers, as in disc-type trash whippers. Sure. You know, smooth disc and notch disc. And that was kind of the start of helping, you know, be able to no-till without disturbing soil. And that, that no-till colder was a detriment uh, in our mind, because we were always like, you know, a no-till colder makes you wait in two ways. It makes you wait for the ground to dry out, and it makes you add weight to the planter. And those are two things that can cost you a lot of money. Well, my gosh, you were one of the early advocates of getting those colders off the planter. Exactly. That's one of the things we kind of, you know, we've ensured uh, a lot of guys are really adamant about having a colder on their planter row unit. But like I say, when you take and, I mean, we've been to a lot of customers' places, and, and we've said, all right, let's just, I'd like to prove to you that we can make this work better and we'd pull a couple rows off and see if we could run without a colder, mm-hmm. you know, and the row cleaner would come about in the early nineties. And that's when we we're talking about taking colders off and trying to get a better system on there to clean the path yeah. for the planter row unit. Do you uh, see a place uh, for no-till colders today in some, in um, some circumstances? Cer- certain. Yes. I, 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 certain conditions. Yes. That is something that can help. Especially if you're double cropping um, or planting in the sod, which there's not a lot of that done around here. Right now, the thing that's taking off is cover crops, um, but we can still uh, we can still th- make things work with a row cleaner and not have to have a colder in that situation. So, yeah, th- there's going to be a time where a, a colder is something that helps. You know, if you got a really hard soil base that you're working with, that might be an, uh, you know, a, a place where, you know, you can take and utilize a colder, but I'm, I'm not a big colder fan. Yeah. I pulled up an article we did with you on the series, what I've learned about no towing way back in uh, 2009. And I got to read you one of your comments here. I joke that no-till colders make you wait for the ground to dry out and then make you add weight to the planter to keep the colders in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still advocating that. <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, that's been a while back. I, I know, uh, like I say, one of the things that probably, to, to me, revolutionized planters today is still the row cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably one of the biggest things that have come out. And again, in the early 90s, uh, we got to be associated with Howard Martin, got a visit with him. And and uh, I really think the row cleaner has revolutionized I mean, obviously, you know, the planter unit itself, the old, you know, I think the double disc opener planter unit to come out, John Deere introduced back in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, that was a big step forward. Uh, and then to me, the next one was row cleaners. Row cleaners, again, today are probably one of the most commonly used and needed item on a planter. So let's talk about row cleaners. How does the farmer get these adjusted properly? What should they do? Well, and that's, you know, row cleaners have come a long ways 
from back when they were first introduced, obviously, you know, the first ones were pin adjusted. So you were right. forced to get out of the tractor and, and set that thing to the point where we wanted to rake the trash out of the way. If there was a little bit of crust on the soil surface, you could set them down to take and break that crust, but we didn't want to move any soil. Mm-hmm. And that was the problem with face-mounted row cleaners is basically it relied on the row unit. When it was moving up and down, sometimes it would miss. Sometimes it would move a little too much. And then the floating row cleaner come about. And that helped because it could actually follow the ground contour, and you'd have these depth bands on the sides of the row cleaner wheel to help follow the ground contour. Well, that was sure. the next step of the row cleaner moving forward of helping, you know, clean the path for the row cleaner and less, less, how do I want to describe it? Less, when you had a face mount pin adjust row cleaner, you had to get out and adjust for ground conditions. It might be different from the morning to the afternoon. So where the floating row cleaner come in, that helped take some of that guesswork out of it. And then, of course, then the air cylinder come out, and now you have air adjust row cleaners, you have hydraulic adjust row cleaners, airbag adjust row cleaners. I mean, there's just a lot of things have come a long way in the row cleaner to make it work and function a lot better. How does the farmer know when these row cleaners need replacing? Um, There's always, obviously, on the uh, row cleaner wheels, there's dimensions that we go by, Um, you know, and you need to know your particular manufacturer and I know some of these row cleaners that we work with they have a 13 inch diameter uh, wheel on it and a lot of times when it gets down in that 12 and a half inch diameter we take and repl- you know 12 and a half 12 and a quarter inch diameter we replace the wheel you just lose the ability to rake the trash it, it has to be run a little more aggressive when the wheel wears down one of the things you talked about, and we've had you talk a couple of times at the National No Tillage Conference. You've always done a great job, and there's been lots of interest. There's always interest in planter maintenance, planter adjustments. You kind of made the comment in the past that you've got to adjust your no-till planter every year and maybe make some changes or think about it. And we're, we're doing this podcast about 10 days before Thanksgiving, so the winter season's coming. What have no-tillers, what should they do over the winter with their, their planters? Well, obviously, uh, yes, from one year to the next, we definitely want to take and bring the planter in the shop and go through the row units. There's all kinds of wear points. Obviously, chains and bearings, we want to take and, you know, make sure that the chains are not getting kinked or also wear on the sprockets, bushings on the parallel linkage, disc openers. I mean, we always take and tell customers that, you know, you need to take that row unit and strip it down to the bare shank mm-hmm. and look at every every piece of the planter unit. Um, every every part has an integral part of making that thing work. Obviously, disc openers, you know, making sure the diameter of those are good, they're sharp, the bearings aren't loose. Um, we're also wanting to make and check that row unit shank. With the today's uh, automated down pressure systems out there, hydraulic downforce, airbag systems, it puts a little more stress on the row unit. And obviously we need to be looking for, uh, you know, shake cracks and things like that. Um, but the wear points are the main things. Bushings on the parallel linkage, the closing wheel pivots, again, the disc openers, drive chains, bearings. We try want to make sure we roll the shafts, take the chains off the shafts and roll them through. Um, obviously technology has come a long way. I, I talked about uh, drive chains, you know, a lot of planters sure. now are electric driven. 
there is no drive shafts, there is no bearings, and that's one of the things that's nice about, you know, we, we are a precision planning dealer, so we actually have quite a few planners that are out with, there is, you know, it's electric drive, so there is no drive shafts, no contact wheel drives, no no tire pressure issues with the drive system that's been eliminated. That Everything's being trying to improve, you know, the, the ability for that planner to do its job. So um, are, are farmers pretty good about wanting to bring these in every year and let you look at them? It costs them some, some money, or I suppose once well, they've it, done it, you get them back. It, it varies, Frank, because like I say, a lot of customers have knife shops and facilities, and we usually have a planter clinic every year and go through you know, adjustments and things to check on the planter yet. And, and several customers and growers do their own man, maintenance. It's just sure. a matter of, you know, educating them on what to look for. You know, we have planters that come in yearly and we have customers that basically have us come to the field or to the country and look a planter over, make a list, and then they decide what they want to do or what they want us to do. So let's say you had a 16-row planter and uh, you live someplace, Kansas, Nebraska or something. What would be a guess as to what this might might cost you to have someone like you just look at their planter? I mean, obviously what we do is we try to go in. If, if a customer calls and says, hey, I want you to look at my planter, you know, make a list of it, you're going to spend probably two or three hours pretty easily just going through. I, we usually take and go in there and take a couple row units apart physically measure and, and measure all the wear points and like I say look at the drives again just make a list and you know it can be as little as a couple hundred bucks it could be close to a thousand dollars depending sure. on how big the planter is and you know what needs to be done but normally making a list of what they need to have done to that planter and then they can decide all right we need to either take it to a dealership or we can handle this ourselves that brings up the next question. Why do farmers in your area come to you instead of going to their dealership? <laughs> I, that's kind of a double-edged sword there. I mean, there's sure. nothing wrong with OEMs. They mm -hmm. do a good job. We've always tried to be one that, you know, you try to be the best at what you do, and that's where you be thorough about what you're checking and what you're yeah. doing. And hopefully, again, educate the customer at the same time. I, You know, a lot of times – dealerships will bring a planner in for inspection and they just have a checklist and they go down through and they check off. Okay. That looks good. That looks good. Yeah. But when you physically take a really unit apart and physically look at it and have the customer there and go over the planner and say, all right, here's what we see. This is what needs to be done. Hopefully be a little more understanding of what, you know, needs to be done in the planner and they can either again, tackle it themselves or have us do it. Well, we, you know, we do Farm Equipment Magazine that goes to dealers, and we had a dealer recently tell us, I think he was in western Kentucky, that said, my gosh, half of my planter parts sales go to independent shops like yours. So he said that independent shops are a big customer of ours for planter parts. You know, and I, again, I hope with the dealerships around, you know, you know, they see that, that there's still money to be made in parts sales. Right. But yet, you know, obviously you want to take and, you know, hopefully keep that customer in the door. But I, I think a little bit more of the personal connection uh, with the customer, you need to know their operation. And that's, I think that's what I, I try to do is my customers in this area, we know their operation 
and obviously we want to make sure that they succeed. And obviously, you know, if it's a, it's a two way street, right. You know, they, we help them and they help us by, you know, with our business. So, uh, obviously we want to take and, you know, help them make a a good return on their investment. Let's put it that way. That's, that's, that's the key is return on investment. And obviously, again, Pioneer is probably the most important thing on the farm. You get one chance to do it right. That's where it needs to be in, in tip top shape. Well, we got farmers today that, you know, they, this has been a good year for them. They got some income and there's been some farmers that say, I'm going to buy a new planter. But when they go to buy it, they, they realize they can't get delivery on it for a year or 18 months. So is the retrofit business picked up for you with planters that are two or three or four years old? Yeah, it's, that has been steady. Um, obviously, you know, you can take any planter out there and, and retrofit it to the newer technology. and mm-hmm. A lot of different companies have that capability to do that. But, yes, that has been steady for the last, oh, shoot, five, ten years, that retrofitting older planters. Obviously, I I just had a customer here call the other day, and we've got a 2001 planter, so it's basically 21 years old, and we're going to take and convert it to a high speed. So we've been doing maintenance on the planter, and he's made the commitment. They didn't want to spend the money on a new planter. And the toolbar and frame and everything is good shape. Row units are good shape. And we're going to go ahead and convert it to high speed. So walk me through what you're going to do with this planter. This is fascinating because this planter is 21 years old. <laughs> so obviously, uh, this particular planter is a Kinsey, mm-hmm. uh, 16 row. He's got some technology on it right now. He's running electric drives. He also has hydraulic downforce. So what we're going to do is go in and, and go through the row units again. And again, just like we do, take the grain apart, make sure all the bushings and wear points are in good shape. And then obviously we will take in with the high speed part of it, we're going to be adding speed tubes to it. And then at that same token, I actually asked the customer, I said, you know, obviously when we do that, we replace the lower end uh, of the row unit with a special, I mean, it's still a seed tube guard that's made specifically for the high speed tubes in there. Well, anyway, I told him, I said, when's the last time you replaced your disc openers? And he goes, well, <laughs> I think it's been two years ago, but he goes, I I don't remember for sure. I said, well, we'll be measuring that for sure. Cause I said, if you know, if you have a, a minimal amount of wear, we still might put new disc openers on because we're putting, you know, fresh seed tube guards and things sure. on the lower end of the row unit. I want to make sure that that planter is like it's new going out the door rather than putting on some somewhat worn disc openers they maybe only have a quarter inch wear off of them but yet that's going to put extra wear on my new pieces i'm putting on so with that system we're going to take and you know obviously go through it and and bring i mean we need to take in there's he's got a list of small things he's got a couple cylinders that got some leaks to them so we're going to go in and fix that obviously uh check the frame over make sure we don't have any you know cracks or anything anywhere and like i say bring that planter back up so it's capable to run in that. He's not one that's going to take and run 10 mile an hour. I can tell you that. But in, in a no-till situation, got a lot of customers want to run six to eight mile an hour. So it's not something you just go out there and, you know, I'm going to throw high speed on a planter and run 10 mile an hour. That That's just not going to happen unless you're, you know, got some good fields to work with. And obviously, yeah. you know, we, we have some good, we have some good uh, soil around this area, but again, it's rolling. So, you know, you still got to take and use your head when you're planting high speed. 
Uh, I have a lot of customers that run, you know, on average would be seven mile an hour. And if you can go from four and a half to seven mile an hour, you know, you just think of the amount of acres you can cover in a day. And that's what we're seeing. You know, a lot less, a lot less labor uh, is out there. I mean, it's hard to get help. You know, guys are covering as much or more ground than they used to. So I, that, that's something we see it's happening. So uh, I, I'm sitting here and I printed out this 2009 article in which you walked us through a planter that was about 15 years old. And so I'm going to pull some points out of here. Seed firmers, what, what, are you still recommending seed firmers? Definitely, yes. <laughs> seed firmers and row cleaners, two of the most common things used in my mind that need to be on a planter. Those two things can make you a lot of money. And, of course, things have changed in seed firmers over the years, too. I know a lot of times we were... When you're at a show or event, you have a lot of customers come up and they were like seed firmers. Those are the biggest waste of money in, in my mind because they wanted to take and build up a soil. And now seed firmers that are out there, they come with a low stick UMVW poly and it will not stick or have soil stick to it like we did in the old days. Sure. And uh, that to me, a seed firmer, again, that's that's a pretty much given four to seven bushel. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say back back then. You said it was worth four to five bushels of corn yield. Yep, and I think that's still. And as we go into get into high speed planters, I think that's even more of a must. Yeah, you got to be able to get that seed nailed to the bottom of the trench. How do you check the tension or adjustment on these? So obviously, back in back when that article was done, we'd actually take a fish scale and we'd tie it to the end of the seed firmer and set it mm-hmm. one to one and a half pounds. Now. What we're what we're finding out in, in the companies that are making seed firmers, basically are finding out that farmers don't check their seed for retention. Uh-huh. And obviously, you know, we as a business, we still do that when a customer brings a planter in. But the newer seed firmers now are running more tension. They're actually, they put more tension to the seed firmer, hopefully getting up into that three to four pounds of tension. And again, the reason for that is with a high-speed planter, we're, be able to nail that seed to the bottom of the trench. So you can actually take and still check your tension with this with a fish scale. But with these newer seed firmers, a couple things with the new material they're made of and the way they're designed, they actually are resilient to wear and they so they're gonna last three to five times longer. Mm-hmm. And also, if you're still able, and you can still run the older seed firmers, but we usually tell guys, run them for a couple of years and, and put new tails on. Yeah. That way you don't have to worry about setting that tension all the time. Because we do, we do still advocate that. Make sure you have some tension on your seed firmers from one year to the next. But obviously, as things change and, and technology changes, there's better setup out there. The next thing you so, talked about in this other article was uh, gauge wheels. What's happening in that area? So gauge wheels, obviously, we want to make sure that the gauge wheels are adjusted up to the disc opener and they lightly touch the disc opener. Um, <laughs> that brings to mind we had a customer here a couple of years ago, and, we, and when we have our planter clinic, that's something we always push. Make sure you, as a customer, take in your shop, get a couple 4 by 4s set the planter unit down on, make sure your depth adjustment is set properly so you know exactly where 2 inches is at. Mm-hmm. So you know that your depth adjustment is set properly. So, you know, you might have one row that's one notch difference, you know, between row units. So you might have an, it's actually an eighth inch 
on your single notch on your adjustment, but yet one row might be adjusted differently. Well, I had a customer call me up and he goes, I got one row. I can't figure out what's going on. And he goes, I set it down and he goes, it's like a full two notches different. And I said, well, we're going to be up in that area. Let's take a look at it. So we, we'd got the, he had the four before out. We set the planter down. And as he slowly went down, the gauge wheels basically bowed out away from the disc openers. So the pivots where the, where the gauge wheels were pivoting were wore enough that the gauge wheels come away from the disc opener. And instead of running two inches, he was running two and three quarters. So it's three quarter of an inch difference from one row to the next. So to, to see that difference on a particular planter, the gauge wheels bowed away from the, the disc opener. is like, holy cow, we got some wear we needed to address. And it's, you know, it happened to be on the, a 24-row planter. was on the outer end. Probably got a little more abuse from, you know, the outer rows, you know, whether it's contours and things like that that would actually put more stress on them row units. But yet, you know, something simple as that, the adept of the seed would have been three quarter of an inch deeper in that particular row. So, you know, even emergence, we keep talking about that. That's where that comes into play. And that's where, you know, gauge wheels, we, we normally run a four, four and a half inch wide gauge wheel. But now with these uh, planters with the hydraulic downforce, sure. uh, we're actually starting to go away from the wider gauge wheel, going to a narrower gauge wheel, going to a three inch. And the reason being is a couple things. One, as we increase our speed, uh, we're trying to take and clean the path of that row unit. And obviously when you have a four inch wide gauge wheel, you know, you're trying to clean a wider path for that one. Well, when we go to a three inch gauge wheel, we don't need to have that path as wide because we're controlling the depth of the seed and the, and the you know, where the disc openers are located for keeping the depth. We don't have to worry about having a big wide footprint to support the row unit. We have a, we have a downforce system that's you know, taking coming into play for that. We'll come back to Frank Lesseter and David Moeller in a moment. I'd like to first thank our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nitrogen and phosphorus in your fields, so you can rely less on expensive fertilizer. This foliar application has a low use rate, and you can mix it right into your tank. Check out Source. It's like caffeine for microbes. Learn more at www.sound.ag. Before we get back to the discussion with Moeller, here's No-Till Farmer Editor Frank Lesser. For today's program, we're going to look back at an article that we did with Dave Moeller way back in 2009. And he talked about several things that were critical on a no-till planter. And we're going to talk about two of those today in a little more detail. And he, he covered these in his regular podcast, but I'm going to give you a few more details. The first one is row cleaners. He says the key is to adjust row cleaners so they remove trash from the soil surface, but don't move the soil. And if you start out with a 15-inch row cleaner wheel, it can safely wear down to 14 inches and still do a good job for you. But if you're working with a 13-inch spiked row cleaner wheel, replace it when it's worn down to 12 inches. And if you encounter soil that is crusted over from heavy rains, the row cleaner setting can be adjusted to break the crust without significantly moving soil. Back in 2009, he said this would be an unusual situation. Now back to Frank and David. Next up was uh, spike closing wheels. 
the closing wheel systems has come a long ways. There's so many, I think, I know at one time somebody said there's 42 different combinations of closing systems out there, and I think that's more than that now. That's one of those things there. Everybody's trying to have the best mousetrap out there. And, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll still advocate spike closing wheels. I know uh, that system. I know Martin's come out with a, what they call a second-stage closer. So it's actually running spike closing wheels in lieu of a firming wheel behind. And, obviously, there's there's a whole slew of different closing systems out there. Which one's the best? It all depends on the environment you're putting it in. Um, we've actually got, again, we're, I'm going to be a little biased. We, we are a precision dealer, so there's a 404 system out there. We've seen some good results from that, some side-by-sides. So obviously it comes down to what works for your operation. Um, you know, and, it, and it's like anything you put on a planner. It, it comes with an expense, so you got to have return. So you got to look at, you know, the big picture. How many acres are we covering? What's the return? How long is it going to take to pay for it? Um, so, it, you know, is it justifiable? That's where we got to look at. You know, I always try to, again, you're trying to make your customer money. And obviously, you know, they're going to keep coming back to you if you can take and, you know, put add-ons that are going to give them a return. Yeah. One of the comments you made in 2009 was a mistake that was made with the Martin 13-inch spiked wheels. You said uh, you had to install them right and had to put at least one of them backwards, right? That can happen pretty easily, <laughs> and we still see that happen today. Um, you know, if, it, if a row cleaner or a closing wheel gets put on backwards, they don't work near as well. You know, again, it's one of those things you need to make sure you read the instructions really well. But that's that can easily be done, yes. And we yeah. still see that happen today. Drag chains. What about drag chains? Um, drag chains are, are still something that are, you know, I, I got a lot of customers that use those. Again, with the closing system, the things that, you know, technology changing, obviously there's systems out there that we don't need a drag chain more. The drag chain did a, a wonderful job of, putting the finishing touch on a closing system, making sure we didn't have any cracks or voids in the ground and pulverizing that, you know, a little bit of cloudiness that might come with no-till. But uh, drag chains, we, we we still sell them, but we don't sell near as many because of the other systems that are out there. Right. Let's like move said, over. A lot of things have changed in the last 20 years. Right. Let's move over to fertilizer. What's the trend? Liquid, dry? What are you doing different with fertilizer on the planters? Around this area, it's mostly liquid, mainly because of ease of handling. Still do a lot of liquid systems, uh, liquid nitrogen, pop-up fertilizers. Again, no-till, early planting, I still think that's a necessity. Um, and a lot of guys are now starting to, you know, the, getting into the mentality of spoon-feeding the crop. And sure. when you do that, we we want to have some early fertilizer, and then they'll come back and do a side dress, whether it's liquid or anhydrous or you know, with a you know, with a sprayer system, obviously splitting up the nitrogen application, trying to be a little more conscientious about you know not losing your fertilizer from rain events. Um, you know, a lot of guys will put everything on up front, and you know you're you're banking on everything to be there as the season progresses. But we both know that uh, rain events seem to be more prevalent of heavy ones, uh, you know, and, and a little bit further between. So. Sometimes you can leach your fertilizer out of the system, so that's why we need to be watching and making sure that we spoon feed the crop. And I, we see a lot more fertilizer systems going on planters. So, are you still uh, pretty much placing fertilizer two by two, or or not? 
That one is still, I mean, obviously there's, when we're doing inferral products, I know most people are putting it either behind or has a seed, but um, fertilizer is normally, yes. There are systems out there. We still put it over two inches to the side, two inches down. Normally we always say an inch in the moisture. Obviously, you know, inch and a half to two inches down. Depending on how much you're putting on, depends on how far away, you know, the rule of thumb around here is an inch for every 10 gallon of 28 away from the seed. You know, it, it, it varies. In some of these systems now, I can split my product to each side of the row. So I can actually, you know, keep it a little bit closer to the row itself, but yet have that split. So you're, you know, 50% on each side of the row unit. Yeah. And there's yeah. also surface applied behind the row unit yet. Right. That's still an option. One of the things going on with no-till today is we've got a lot of farmers who are planting green. Would you do anything yes. different with the planter if he's planting green? Well, I, and obviously when you plant green, it always throws in a lot more variables. Um, <laughs> I know we were in a situation this, this past 22 planting season, and obviously the the rye crop got away from the customer and he was planting in the rye that was almost waist high. Mm-hmm. And the the system was doing a decent job, but he just had to slow down a little bit. Obviously that planter was set up for high speed and he has places he could run that, but in that particular area, we couldn't run much over four mile an hour mm-hmm. just because we had to let the planter unit do its job of getting that. I mean, we, we had no roll or anything. We just dropped in row cleaner out front, parting the green i mean as it was parting it was you know pushing it down let the rain it do its job hydraulic downforce getting the seed placed it did have a closing system on it that you know it was the newer technology yeah capable um to be able to adjust that closing system you know on the go had an airbag system on it changing you know it's getting a reading and changing the closing system but it did a good job. It's just we had to slow down a little bit to make it work and function. Obviously, trying to terminate that crop in this area, a lot of guys try to do that. But we still have a few guys that do green planting. And, again, that particular field, again, it, it rained early on, and the, and the cover crop grew tremendously. Actually, it's almost uh, starting to head to the point where we, where we planted. So probably not something I would recommend. But yeah, I know there's guys that do it, and I I know like growers will take and roll it too. Right. But uh, this particular gentleman, we also same same customer had applied manure like two weeks before mm-hmm. in this standing rye, and they put it on at an angle, and he was trying to plant, you know, not with that, you know, straight uh, perpendicular to the angle, and it just wasn't working. Uh, we just need, I mean, it was still, there was still wetness from the manure being applied. So again, there's challenges planting green, but it can be overcome. It's just, you got to get the adjustments on the planter to, you know, work right. and function properly. Yeah. I'm amazed at how many of our no-till farmer readers are planting green. And I don't know of many that have tried it and then gave, given it up. It seems to think it works for them. Soybeans in your area, are they put in mainly with a planter or are they drilled? And do you work on drills? Um, so in this area, it used to be drills heavily. Um, I think it was because the wider, you know, you get, you get a 40 foot drill, 60 foot air seeder to go in and cover a big amount of ground in a short period of time. But the problem is 
seed costs is still being, you know, the dri- driving factor there. Sure. Uh, as seed costs go up, now we've got more guys re- reverting back to a 15-inch row planter. Your twin-line systems like a Kinsey offers pusher units or a Deer 1790, yeah, you know, you got 15-inch rows. Trying to get more precise placement, again, with the planter unit, and also trying to save on seed costs, trying to be a little more exact. Saying, you know, a lot of times we're dropping 200, 220,000 in population with a drill. Well, now guys are pulling that back to 120 to 130,000 with a, a planter in 15-inch rows. A lot more planters are coming back into the, to the system, and I think it's because, again, precise placement and trying to trying to pull the population back and be more a little more exact. Yeah, we'll still work on drills. Um, just like I say, there's not as many in the area, but again, there's a, a lot more wear components on a drill system when you, especially when you run seven and a half, ten inch basins. A lot more opener units to deal with, and I think that's another maintenance cost can add up too on a drill. You've mentioned cover crops. You do. Anything on seeding cover crops you're working on? So we uh, had a drill come in here, actually, a couple of days ago. It was a crust buster. had rye in it, and they were having some hydraulic down pressure issues. We were trying to, we had a cylinder. It was actually uh, acting up, leaking by internally. So working on that. So, yes, there's guys, a lot of cover crops have been planted already. Um, actually, things are starting to green up around here because of the, you know, we've had some nice weather. Sure. In the 70s, and that cover crop's about two inches tall right now. So the, so the fields are starting to green up from that with a, a couple of rains we've had. So and we were actually awfully dry this year, mm-hmm. um, probably 12, 15 inches below normal. If uh, <clears throat> Let's talk about that a little. If you get a drought, what's a farmer got to do with his planter to get a good stand, get even germination? Well, obviously, at planting time, the grower is still the one that has to make that decision of, you know, right. we need to plant in the moisture. And if that takes plant two and a half inches, two and three quarter, we need to do it. But we also be looking at the, you know, you're going to be looking at the forecast, trying to decide, you know, are we going to get a rain or are we not? And if not, we need to take and put that, that seed down to where the moisture is. And hopefully, again, with your planter maintenance, uh, you're going to take and again, even though you're planting at two and three quarters inch, you still still should get even emergence. Obviously, you know you you got to take and uh, again, each situation is different. Um, but like I say, this spring was a challenge because we had early wet, and then all of a sudden here it was. It was 80 degrees, and and we had guys that were planting when when you're planting inch and a half, two inches deep, it was muck, mm-hmm. but the top was dry, and that. You know, a lot of corn here in this area went in the ground in about three days. And so you had to take in, those are one of the things you got to be so careful of because when you put that much in the ground, you got to make sure everything's working properly to make sure you do have, again, seed soil contact and hopefully get that even emergence. Because as it's hot, the soil's still drying, but you're putting it down in the wet muck, it could actually try to open up. And that's where the closing system's still. You know, there's so many closing systems out there uh, that you need to have something to get that trench closed so it don't open back up. We've got some manufacturers that said, "Hey, with the new new planters, you can do you can drive 10 miles per hour." Are you seeing farmers do that? <laughs> um, a, 
I have a couple guys that run 10 mile an hour, but they're on um, irrigated uh, under a pivot and it is work ground. So, you know, it, it's a, they basically go in and do a one pass tillage in the spring and then they plant it. So the ground is smooth. No till, I don't think you're going to see too many, too many growers running 10 mile an hour. Yeah. Again, I, I see a lot of customers running six to eight, mainly trying to get to uh, cover more acres in a shorter period of time, but yet not have, you know, obviously when you're in no-till, the ground's going to be a little rougher and you still want that row unit to do its job. Obviously, you know, down pressure and things like that come into play and that's where automated downforce is a, is a big help. You mentioned that you also work on combines. What do you, what's the kind of work you do with combines? So yeah, we we specialize in gleaner combines. We've been, like I say, been doing that since the early '80s. Still it goes back to your Alice Chalmers days. <laughs> it does. Yep. And uh, of course, we grew up with a red combine, but that got traded off in the early '80s for a gleaner. And uh, so we've been still modifying and and trying to make those run more efficiently. Obviously, a lot of things from the factory got changed from things that got done out in the country and and there's a few items that we saw change uh that we'd actually you know we had played with so it was kind of like oh, it's kind of nice to actually have a oem starting to at least you know watch and i think a lot of i think a lot of oems watch the internet chatter mm-hmm. um you know there's there's things out in the country farmers are really good at making things work better and uh that's one thing i like about this area of the country that we're in, in Washington County, a lot of farmers are always seem to be, you know, we always talk about you can be a leader, you can be a follower, or you better get out of the way. And yeah. I, I think the people in this area are leaders. And I, I you know, a lot of people, farmers and, and growers are in competition with themselves, but in this area, everybody's trying to help everybody, you know, advance the, the system to the next level. Yeah. And, and that's why we feel fortunate to be, you know, you, you got to have some type of connection with other people. That's what's nice about going to just like the no-till conference, be able to take and get out into the the hallways and, and visit with other growers and, and, and find out what works, what don't work. Maybe, you you know, simple. I, I like the no-till classrooms. I know we participated in that and you got to find out, you know, hey, here's things that work for us and here's things that didn't. So it might right. save somebody some time of not having to, well, that's what I was going to try. There's no need to try it if you've already done that. Right. Then you so, find something, then you find somebody said, I couldn't make it work at all. And the next guy over says, I've been doing it for five years successfully. Yeah. You've, you find out some little thing made a difference. Yeah. Here's here's what it takes to make it work. Yeah. And that's that's the thing you need to have, you know, obviously, You'd never want to stop learning. I, that, that's one of those things. If you if you close your mind that okay, this is the only way it's going to work. To me, you're going to be stuck, and and, and you know you're not going to have a, you got to have your mind open to. I always talk about you know think outside the box. You got to look at all options, and uh, you know there there's always seems like there's something that comes down the road that's a little bit better. Right. And obviously, there's research and things that go with everything else. But yet, you want to you want to make sure that what before you try it, you know that that's done. But again, sometimes you got to be the guinea pig. Right. Well, on on combines, you still see ads for combines, new new combines or video 
where they're not spreading residue the full width of the of the header, which is pretty important with uh, no-till. Um, how do we get, how do we get people or even the manufacturers to get this residue spread the full width? And that's that's one of the things. Obviously, you know, the headers are getting wider, forty to fifty foot, and obviously that's that's something that still needs to be addressed. I know in this area that's that's one of the things that we strive to take and do, even if it you know requires a chaff spreader being added. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, playing playing with the speed of that chaff spreader. I know, again, 30, 40 foot headers is real common, and, and a lot of times you can get to 20, 25, but you'll have that extra five feet on each side, and every pass you see that, and you know that can make a big difference. It can be a lot wetter underneath that matted trash. So yeah. trying to keep that consistent. So one, it's you know not you know it's an even uniform moisture across the width versus you know having some places where it's actually can get drier and then you're obviously that's where it comes back to even emergence right on, on the on the corn plant or the or the soybeans we want to try and you know make sure that everybody comes up at the same time hopefully within a 36 hour period trying to make that happen on the, on the combine that obviously different manufacturers uh you know sometimes you're gonna have to take it upon yourself to to make something work there right Let's say I, I bring you in a 24-row planter that's five years old. I say to you, I want you to do the maintenance and everything else on it, but I got 15000 bucks here I would give you. How would you spend that fifteen grand on that five-year-old planter? <laughs> well, so obviously you're, you're going to take and, uh, you know, basically go through the row units first. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I need to have that row unit in tip-top shape. $15,000 is probably not going to take you too far in a row cleaner area, but let's say it's okay. already got the row cleaners on it. Well, we'll, uh, we'll raise my, I'll, I'll raise my investment then. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, you know, if it's got row cleaners on it, I, you know, we need to look at, all right, so what's, you got to look at the grower's operation, you know, is he in a no-till situation or is he in a, you know, in a conservation tillage right. system? You know, is he, you know, you ask him, are you having, what are your issues? What are you seeing? Are you having emergence issues? Are you able to get the trench closed? Are you are you not you know are you able to get the the row cleaned? Mm-hmm. Ahead? I mean, are we are we are we having problems with the row cleaner itself doing its job? I mean, we need to address you know what what's on the planter at the time. You you need to find out what individual each individual customer's got for an operation, and that's why sometimes when you're talking to somebody, it's you know. Everybody says, you know, you go 100 miles from home, you're an expert. Well, you still need to be in tune with what that customer or grower's, you know, operation right. is, you know, working with. And, it, and uh, you know, we talk about this area. I, I talk to growers in Minnesota. Obviously, you know, that's a different realm. I mean, they have a shorter growing season, a lot heavier soil. So you have to address that versus down south, getting into the, you know, Missouri, Kentucky area. Sure. Lighter soils don't have to worry. You know, sometimes those guys don't have the freezing and thawing effect that we get here mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Right. So you need to you need to kind of know the grower's situation, but yet, you know, that's where we take and try to address a problem on the planter, and you know, hopefully, again, goes back to return on investment. Trying to figure out where can we best spend that money wisely, right, and get you some you know get you some return and uh, hopefully increase your yields.
Yeah, that's been great how you've looked at everything on ROI in terms. One of the areas that gets lots of talk these days is right to repair. As an independent operator, have you had concerns with this or not? Yeah, I mean, it's getting to the point where obviously, you know, as we get to the uh, end of our run, which that, that is in our site, and I think I've mentioned that to you before. Sure. I mean, we've been doing this for almost 40 years, and it's I think we're ready to start slowing down, but we do see that uh, in the combines and tractors. There's a lot of technology that you have to have a computer, which most repair shops do, but then you've got to have the program, and there's a lot of companies that won't allow you to have that, mm-hmm. or it's very costly to have that. Right. We we actually, you know, with the Gleaner combine side, we actually explored that, having that capability to hook up to an engine and, you know, do some troubleshooting. But it was to the point where if you were only doing that two or three times a year, yeah. it wasn't worth our time and effort to invest, you know, 20000 to to have the computer programs and have a, a yearly subscription to that to, to, you know, justify it. So, yeah, it's kind of a... It's kind of a double-edged sword there also. It's like, yeah, you need to have, be able to support that customer, but yet when you don't have that capability, you got to go back to the dealership to have them come out and, you know, obviously hook the computer up and say, okay, your code is cleared. We're going to go ahead and try it again and make sure it works. And sometimes, you know, it might be something as simple as a sensor, but you can't, you know, fix it for them. And, I, you know, that's one thing that makes it tough for us as a independent you want to help, you know, support that customer in this area on the Gleaner side, the nearest dealer is an hour away. So mm-hmm. I, I feel confident that, you know, we're not infringing on anybody. Uh, you know, I, I look at that. We talked about that earlier about, you know, why would a person go to an independent person, a dealership? Sure. And, you know, I, again, I think it's that one-on-one uh, knowing your customer, knowing their operation, you get to know the people. You know that's that's where to me it you know and a dealership's going to do the same but sometimes you get you know multiple dealerships under the same name sometimes that's lost right, right. it's it's more it's more about you know, it's more about making money than it is about getting that customer the service and support he needs. Well, if right to repair doesn't make sense for you, even on handling a couple, two or three gleaner combines a year, it certainly can't make sense to a farmer who only has one gleaner combine. That's right. Yes, and I, I've seen some talk that there's, uh, that there is, you know, they're pushing to have that opened up, so at least you could go in there and you may have to pay a subscription for it to be able to, you know, have a computer hooked to it, at least maybe troubleshoot and tell the dealership all right here's what i'm seeing yeah now tell me what i need to do yeah so i i I mean as as technology advances i mean yeah it gets tougher and tougher to be able to repair stuff without having a computer tied to your i mean and we see in the planning site i mean there's troubleshooting on these monitors um obviously we have the capability to do that with the planner side of it yet and hasn't hasn't you know had it hasn't pinned us in a corner where we can't take and, you know, physically work on some electronics and make, make things function and work. Yeah. But it, it, the technology side never downgraded. It's, it's, it's fascinating to see. I, I look back at 
you know, where we've come from and where we are today. Like my dad talked about, we lost him this summer. Uh, he picked corn by hand, get up in the morning, go out and pick, pick ear corn by hand and come home at night after school and do it, you know, hopefully get a hundred bushel a day. And here we are, you know, guys are running seven to 9,000 bushel an hour with a combine. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to see the, the ear picking and now, you know, getting into the harvest side of it, the, you know, planting, uh, with a check wire planter and, uh, to see high speed planters. I mean, the technology is still a driving force. Right. I mean, my gosh, today we even see the need or the, there's a demand for 2000 bushel grain carts. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's crazy. Um, but yet, like I say, with that kind of harvesting capacity, you need to be able to handle it. And, right. uh, obviously bigger acres, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of guys look at, okay, rather than have two planters, let's have one planter and we'll convert it to high speed and still cover the same amount of acres. Yeah. And as you said earlier, most of the corn in your area went in in three days. So yeah. you got to have the capability and to do it. Exactly. And that's normally we tell guys, if you are looking at a planter, you need to be looking at something that put your crop in within a 10 day window. Right. In 10 days of physically good planting conditions. Yeah. Obviously you're not, you're not going to get usually 10 days consecutive, but you need to be able to put your crop in the ground in 10 days and obviously right. do it in a good uh, economical way. Are you seeing plant, uh, farmers in your area no-tilling soybeans before they do corn or not? Uh, yes. I've got a lot of guys that are, they purchase a second planter and uh, are taken in, you know, they'll actually uh, be planting soybeans at the same time they're planting corn. Or, just like you said, sometimes guys will plant early. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I think I think the research is there that planting early soybeans does give you return if the weather cooperates, right. you know, in conditions. Uh, Mother Nature still has her trump card. Yep. Um, still depends on the year. Exactly. So, but, but yes, I do see that. I, I've Several guys are planting soybeans the same time they're planting corn in April. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about I have that hasn't come up in this discussion? Well, like I say, I mentioned, uh, like I say, the no-till conference. That's, I would never, I, I'd always advocate anybody that asks about it, definitely take the time to go to that. Um, like I say, there, there's so much to learn from other growers, let alone all the classrooms and all the speakers that come. I, I just, I, that's something that, like I say, when we, we, we did that for several years, came down and did that. I, like I say, as our business grew, it was harder and harder to get away in the wintertime for us. Sure. Um, and like I said, we haven't been there for a while, but yeah, we need to get back there and, and uh, rub elbows with other customers and growers. Yeah. It, it was, it's a great experience. Years ago, I took a phone call in August and somebody was registering for the January no-till conference and it was somebody I knew pretty well, and I said to him, you know, here you are signing up, and I don't even have the program done. I don't know who, who I've got speaking yet. And the, the grower said to me, I don't care. And I said, what do you mean you don't care? He says, well, look, I, I've been to this conference. I know how valuable it is. I know you will have a good good set of topics and speakers, but if you if I looked at the program you have done, and I think you got lousy speakers and lousy topics. I'm still coming because I've seen the value of networking in the halls. 
Exactly. And that I think is probably the biggest takeaway is like I say, it's it's the getting to talk to other growers, you know, in between meetings. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of lot of conversation and a lot of good that comes from that. And I've seen two strangers in a break go out in the hall and stand next to each other, and one guy says to the other, did you just hear what that guy said? That is the dumbest idea I've ever seen. And the guy next to him says, well, I've been doing it successfully for five years. Then the other guy wants to know how. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, that's to me, what makes it uh, so special. That was David Moeller talking with Frank Lesseter about equipment, the right to repair, and other topics. Before we go, here's Frank Lesseter one more time. The other thing that we're going to look at in the article that we did with Dave way back in 2009 deals with drag chains. And this is the last adjustment to make after the other components are working properly on your no-till planter. His best advice, keep the chain brackets as low to the ground as you can without dragging the trash. And he says this chain should be holding about two handfuls of soil or about a cup ahead of it at all times. And when adjusted properly, the drag chains function like a harrow behind a field cultivator or a disc to pulverize clods and fill voids and cracks in your no-tilled soils. He recommends using 24 inches of 3 inch, inch twisted link drag chain only. He says to adjust the space from the bottom lower corner of the chain bracket to the soil surface between one and two inches. And remember to use a chain with twisted links. A regular log chain will not work. To prevent the chain from flipping over the closing wheels, he devised a pyramid shaped deflector made from five six inch round rod. It's deeper in the center than a U-shaped deflector, which stops the chain from flying through and hanging up on the closing wheel. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this series possible. You can find more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. A transcript of this episode will be available there shortly. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at B-O-C-O-N-N-O-R at LessiterMedia.com or call me at 262-777-2413. No-Till Farmer editor Frank Lesseter would also love to answer your questions about no-till and the people and the innovations shaping today's practices please email your questions for Frank to listener mail, all one word, at no-tillfarmer.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast to get an alert whenever we release a new one. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. For Frank and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Brian O'Connor. Thanks for listening and keep it no-till.